One, two, three. Welcome to the Smartest Amazon Seller Podcast. Goal of this show is to make you a better Amazon seller. And I know that this episode in particular, if you, this is the first time you're hearing me talk about it, it can make you some money. We're going to talk about pricing. Specifically, I'm going to reshare. I gave this speech early on, this presentation early on of the podcast. So if, if it's been a few years and it's been a very like highly requested uh, conversation. And some people, even the second time they listen through it, they kind of get it a little bit more. I spoke at AMZ United a few weeks ago about repricing some strategies you can do to increase your net margins. I've gotten better at it. I kind of understand what angle people need to take to, to understand it. So I'm just going to put on the recording so you guys can sit back and listen to what I thought was the most valuable thing that I could share at AMZ United on August 31st. We had 700 attendees. It was a first time show. We put it on to focus on one specific type of seller. I know if you don't sell um, uh, wholesale, like there's a lot of nuggets in here that can help you think about pricing and what tools are out there, how to think about them, how to optimize, because ultimately that is one of the signals you control the most as a seller. Without further ado, here is the episode on that. Hey, thank you everyone. Very excited to talk about this subject because it will. I know with all the confidence that I have that this can actually make you more profitable. I have done uh, 200 podcast episodes or so, and this is the one that people keep requesting to learn more about. Because at the end of the day, you know, your price is, says more about what you're offering on the marketplace than anything else. Who here feels like they've solved pricing, that they always have the right price on all of their ASINs all at once? Who's got that? You know, that might be me. After selling for like four or five years, I stopped paying attention to it. And then in 2019, I made a change that I'll go into that increased our margins considerably overnight. So I hope that some of these things that we go over spark some ideas that you can immediately put into your business. Because even now, I still think there's more that I could do to continue improving pricing because you're never going to have it fully right. And so you can make improvements tomorrow. So history of the buy box. What is, you know, this little buy box? The more I hear people explain to me what they say is the secret to winning the buy box, the more I feel like, you know, we're all full of crap, that it is a mystery and you're not going to be able to fully know what's going on. But let's jump into a few things. So I started in 2013. I was like, okay, let's use a repricer. Let's start optimizing our offers to win the buy box. And then I looked into other factors. You know, you hear that like, okay, larger sellers with good seller, you know, feedback, they win the buy box more. I spent a lot of time in our team to get up to 100%. I feel like that could have made an impact, but I don't fully know it. And I don't think anyone fully knows, you know, the algorithm. You see a lot of pieces of this puzzle. I think some of it's true. I think some of it's not. So... Has, does anyone use any tools to look at the stock levels of competitors? 
Yes. We want to know how much stock do they have because we can make a lot of decisions. In 2017, I started to build a tool internally to like predict competitor stockouts. I probably spent about 300 hours programming, getting this to work, scraping the crap out of Amazon pages, get our competitor's stock and build out some numbers. But the sad thing is, is it didn't really impact that much. It was too hard to make smart pricing choices based off of competitor stockouts. And I'm gonna go into, in just a minute, what I did that actually did have a big impact. I'm calling this my aha moment that happened early 2019. And then we're talking about the buy box here. In 2020, in the middle of the year, our sales jumped and I couldn't figure out why, but then everyone started talking about a buy box change. A buy box change that actually helped us, but on some ASINs it hurt us. There's a seller out there called eTels. Anytime we competed against them, we would lose. So that's when I, you know, when we talk about, like there are a lot of factors that may be out of our control when it comes to winning the buy box. But there's one thing that you always control, and that is your price. So we're going to go into that. So in 2018, we did 65 million in sales at 14% gross margin. But in 2019, we shrunk just a little bit, but we were at 20% gross margin. I don't know if you can do a little bit of math, but that's a pretty big impact. And we're just talking gross margins. So, you know, there's the difference right there. Over $2 million of extra margin, and that was just done by improving our pricing. And there's something to be said about there's an advantage to doing more margin per unit. This was an idea that I had. I was like, well, we have 9% fewer products. I would choose a smaller business at higher gross margins than a bigger business at low margins because the overhead, the amount of prep, the amount of people you have on your team. So there's more to the picture than just gross margin. Okay, so the first idea, and most of you here know about repricers. Here's my opinion of the repricer. They're all good. They use a lot of good logic, but it can't be your only resource. And that my number one recommendation is to take a repricer and add some layers of logic if possible to make it better. I have done demos on all of these. I have used uh, several of them. And uh, to this day, they're all good, but I know there's a few ideas that you know about your inventory that they don't. So we're gonna go into a few strategies. Some of them are very easy. Some of them are a little more complex. And you need to think about how your business can implement this. But in my decade of selling wholesale on Amazon, there's one thing that kept coming up in our numbers. We would evaluate everything that we sold and always our most profitable sales happened in the first 30 days. So let's spend some time on the first 30 days. Things that you should be doing before it's too late. As soon as your inventory arrives at Amazon for the first time, that is your golden hour. That's when all the data that you are making a purchasing decision is the most true. And the longer that that inventory sits around, the more likely 
you are not going to be profitable. So let's talk about the aha moment of 2019. There's several keys. But first, some terminology. Some, sometimes people use different words, maximum or minimum price, floor or ceiling price. Floor being, you know, you don't go below. For me, the floor price was our break-even price. What it took for us to sell the product and make zero dollars. It's not our goal. But I would tell our repricer before 2019 that our floor was our break-even. And I learned the hard way what a mistake that was to feed a repricer to go low. We don't want to go low. We want to find every reason, every excuse to raise prices. And everyone in this room would benefit if other sellers also kind of knew this, that the trick is not about finding ways to lower your price, but when you can be patient and when you can raise your price. So what we did, we floated for the first few days, no matter what. First few days of checked in inventory, we floated at 20% gross margin. We actually sold some products above that. We sold some products above 20%, but the lowest we would accept is 20%. And then the next few days, if it sold, we didn't touch it. We leave it. We leave our, we don't let our repricer ever go below that. If it's selling, leave it there. But if it's not, every few days from like three days to eight days, 15 days, we slowly would lower our floors that we were telling our repricer they can go down to. And this has the effect of both being patient and aggressive. You have to be a little bit of both. And you want to create the right balance. We'll talk a little bit more about that. So we want to regularly feed your repricer higher prices. The way that we did this was we used, we, we had a file on our computer and the repricer that we were using would read that every you know few hours. So we can make very quick decisions. Now you may need a little bit of a Excel experience or programming experience, or you could have a VA do this for you every single day and upload a new price to your catalog because every single day we would make new decisions. And then back to that moment when I was trying to like benchmark our prices compared to the competition, predictive thing they have a stock out, that really just didn't work. And that the, the single difference maker was when we only looked at our own sales. So in every part of analyzing what we should price at, we would only look at our own sales. Are we selling? Great. Maybe we can price up. Are we not selling? Okay. Maybe we should price down. And that's it. You could spend so much time, you know, building, you know, all these fancy tools to look at the competition. But your sales are the number one indicator of where you should move your price. So I'm going to find some more ways that we can raise our prices. One thing that we would do is arbitrarily, well, we know that others are using repricers and we would price up two to three times a day for 30 minutes. And what this gives, this really works best when there's about two or three other competitive sellers and it gives them a chance to price up. We want everyone to win. We want to encourage them to price up because during the rest of the time, there's a chance that someone's repricer is, you know, is penny pinching, is notching down by a penny. 
And so create a few windows throughout the day where you price up. And you want to reprice fast. If you are doing any sort of penny pinching, your repricer can go up to every two minutes. So that's a question that you should be asking about what you're using so that you can make quicker decisions. And with high selling inventory, you know, or if it's in season, you can win some sales in those extra minutes. And again, spend some time and be a little humble. I still to this day feel that we can make more improvements. So give it some extra thought. So I talked about the first strategy. The first strategy is to start high for the first few days. And then if a product didn't sell, we would go a little bit lower. Maybe we'd hit our break even. And then there's a, another strategy that works only on the tail end of selling your inventory. And that is if you're going to stock out, stock out kicking and screaming. You should be selling every single product more expensive than the last. Because stockouts, you know, I don't think they're that bad. It's okay to stock out of inventory. That means you made a right choice. You bought the right inventory. You bought inventory that was selling. So don't feel bad about stocking out. Hopefully you have a reorder on the way there. But if you are going to stock out, go out kicking and screaming. You know, this really works well with seasonal products. This really works well if the competitors start stocking out as well. This happens every year that um, some seasonal products will just like sell out three weeks before Christmas. Well, you can make a lot more money if you are straggling along, finding those shoppers that are willing to pay more. So, you know, start high. Maybe you go down a little bit in some of its middle days. But if it's consistently selling, we actually would go like this. We, we would keep our price, and then at the very end, we would keep going up, and we would be very dynamic in the last two weeks. We would check, did we sell an inventory in the last 24 hours? If we sold out, if we're still selling out, we'd price even higher. If we stopped, we'd price a little bit lower. We'd be very dynamic, and this was the most profitable with seasonal products, this going out strategy. So if you're in one of those categories, you definitely should consider it. So we can price up during the day, but do you know what we do at night? Between 1 a.m. and 5 a.m. when no one really is shopping or no, not the masses, we would price up all night long. And I've seen many products that were very competitive. We look at the prices that are happening at night, every single little notch, and we would see everything would trickle up a dollar or two. And this would happen repeatedly where like at night we're pricing up, at day, you know, that slowly gets lower, 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 lower. Then at night we go back up and it yo-yos around, but it allows us to make an extra dollar because if you uh, get large, you're going to sell. There's a few people in this room that are probably selling a million products a year. And trust me, that extra 50 cents, that extra dollar adds up very quickly. So strategy number four, this can work against big sellers that might be crowding out the buy box. This also works against Amazon retail, and I've confirmed this within the last year. So I'm always worried that this strategy goes away, but it's where we yo-yo. Again, this works better on very fast-selling product. Throughout the day, about every 20, 30 minutes, we would yo-yo, beat them by 10 cents, 20 cents, 1 cent, and then come back up. You're selling against Amazon. They're winning the buy box. 
you yo-yo down, still about, sometimes it could be as little as 30 seconds. You could still the buy box for 30 seconds and then go back up. And you, we would find sales. And this is really good if your inventory is stuck against a competitor that just doesn't give up. I do know a few repricers that, that have this strategy built in. So it's worth knocking on the door. And if you want to come ask me afterwards about specifics, I will be in the lounge area after this talk. Okay, strategy number five, just avoid Amazon retail. Don't sell against them. This was my business's strategy from the foundation. We wanted to not sell against them. You can succeed selling against them. You could find a product that works. But we found on average that it was our lower performing inventory. And this data right here shows it. I analyzed 10 months of sales and I put them in every single bucket. Is a 0% Amazon and stock rate, 10%, 20%, and up to like 80, 90, and 100%. And look how that dips down there at the end. If you're selling against Amazon where they are really good at staying in stock, chances are you're just not gonna make a lot of money. Sure, you can find a few that do, but you're gonna get a lot, you're gonna get burned a few times. I have seen some sellers raise tens of millions of dollars and then they get a little proud of like, we're something special, let's buy all the inventory. And they went deep against Amazon retail. And those businesses, they're not around anymore. So look at this and you can really see how, the, like, how correlated your profit margins can be if you avoid selling against Amazon. Okay, this is a different strategy for uh, different use cases. So I love using some of the unique Amazon offers and one in particular is coupons. I can't go and, you know, I don't wanna spend all this time talking about coupons, but what you can do, especially for your stale inventory or maybe you're not selling against anyone else, is use a coupon instead of discounting your price because people see a $20 product if they see a $2 coupon, they feel like they found it. It increases your conversion percentage. It is better to use a coupon of like $1 or $2 than it is just to lower your price. That has a higher effect on conversion. So this is a, a strategy that you're definitely going to want to consider using if your inventory is over 180 days. So, and to kind of hit onto that a little bit more, we built strategies for your age of inventory. So the first 90 days, you're making money. This is where everything happens that is good for your business. You, um, you get your stuff checked in, you have a chance to price high, you're not paying a lot of storage fees. This is the time to really um, buckle down and be a little patient, price a little higher. But then by the end of the 90 days, that's when we start to price a little bit down. We're like, okay, we'll go to our floor. We'll break even. But we would only do that after 45 days. Now, 90 to 180 days, if your inventory is in this bucket, we'll break even or even sell at a little loss. We got to get out before it gets really bad. Because if you're paying attention to what's happened with the, the FBA fees, even in the last year, Amazon has made over 180 days, not a lot of fun. And so you need another pricing strategy that handles this final bucket. 
This is when you need to use coupons. This is when you need a discount. This is when you need a yo-yo. This is when you need to tell your repricer you're willing to take a little bit of a loss because you don't want to get stuck paying for inventory month after month. It took a long time for me to realize that stale inventory starts to work against your business. It is the enemy to your business because every month there past these 180 days, it's just costing you money. So you want to build a pricing strategy to see this. I spoke with a seller yesterday. They never see this phase. They solve the problems before they ever get to 180. So that's kind of the direction that you'll want to be. You have these competing interests on your inventory. You want to be patient and you want to be aggressive. You never know exactly what's going to benefit you the most, but I do think if you over-index on one, you're going to lose money. And if you over-index on the other, you're going to lose money. So to maximize your profit, you also want to maximize your turns. That's the thing. We want to be patient, but I'm only patient for, you know, five days, 10 days, 20 days, because you really want to make sure that you have as much inventory possible in that first window where the data, when you made that purchasing decision, was working in your favor. So the final strategy is you just make profits when you purchase. You kind of need to follow all the advice from the other people to this point that have talked about sourcing your suppliers, get the best relationships that allow your dollars, your inventory dollars to go further and to make really smart purchasing choices. You know, we could spend, you know, another two hours just talking about, you know, making smart purchases, but that's really, you know, you don't want to get stuck. And the best way to get, not get stuck is to have the right data that helps you make good purchases. So you can have the best pricing in the world, but if you have a bad product, it's not going to work. So here's a few things to consider in profitable purchases. Out of stock products, if it's out of stock now, that is a higher indication of, you know, it'll go out of stock again. So it's worth purchasing. You know, a few FBA sellers, consistent history. I personally like to avoid seasonal products because right now it is just prohibitive to buy a Christmas product, not sell it, and wait a whole nother year. So I like the consistent sales products. People on the stage have you know, we'll tell you slightly differently. This just worked for us as we are trying to build a stable business. In fact, you know, hitting the, one of the hot topic issues is, you know, do you have your own warehouse or do you use a 3PL? I think if you're using a 3PL, that works better with seasonal products. But if you have your own warehouse and your own team, you're going to want consistent products because you, you need to be using that space year round. Now you want to look at low return rate. You're not going to hear a lot of people talk about the return rate on your product, but it can vary as much as 2% or 10%. So make sure you have an idea on that. And, you know, there's a few categories to avoid. Apparel and, you know, shoes. It is just absolutely critical that you know your return rate and you know how to deal with it. Or you won't be as profitable as you think. Here's another little uh, advice, not necessarily related to pricing, but it's just so valuable when you make a purchasing decision is a market that you understand. Specializing in a category feels like it's closing doors. Heck, it's Amazon FBA. All you have to do is ship it into Amazon and like they take care of the rest. Any category. I could do sports. I could do arts and crafts. I could do toys. You can. 
You can do that. But when you specialize, you will find that it opens doors and not closes them. If you start saying no to categories that you just don't understand as well and get really deep with one, then you then opportunities will show up at your door. So totally recommend um, understanding a way to specialize. Do you like oversized products? Do you like super small products? Do you like expensive? Do you like it inexpensive? All of those have challenges, but if you can get really good at one, then everything that's in that strike zone becomes an opportunity. So I love specializing. That's all I've got. And thank you everyone so much for coming to Ames United. One, two, three.